Hey there! Are you a crime scene investigator, law enforcement officer, or forensic scientist looking for a Facebook community that understands you? Check out Taction USA's forensic product groups. You'll find blogs, articles, information, and community. For those of us in the investigative field, there are not many lines of support out there, but Taction USA is a company that was founded by law enforcement for law enforcement. Subscribe today to get access to exclusive content. Just look for Taction USA in Facebook groups. the tape everyone's favorite true crime podcast that's done by myself brendan and my darling wife hillary hello (laughs) this time around we've got a uh, kind of a forensic breakthrough or a little bit of oddball science to solve a case oddball science yeah (laughs) what are you trying to say It's one of those things that the first time you hear about it, you go, oh, they can solve murders that way? Yeah, I know. Well, I guess I won't murder this person. <laughs> it's usually the epiphany people have. Hmm. So, please sign the crime scene log and join us for the story of, well, Roger Payne. Yeah. But yeah. the victim will get there. Yes. So we're going to take you to England. Brom- old. Bromley, England. Hmm. In February of 1968. Now, also, side note, if we sound funny, it's because we're, we've been getting over a cold. So, yes. bear with us. been working on the Apothecary series of our mini-episodes, mm-hmm. and we've had multiple expo- exposures to various no, poisons. Okay, no, fine. We're getting no. over a cold. No, we, we succumbed to a cold. Anyhow. Succumbed? No. Succumbed. <laughs> In February of 1968, in Bromley, England, Bernard Josephs came home to find his wife murdered by their bedside. She was only 20 years old. His wife's name was Claire, and she worked at a publisher's because she loved to write. And she was last seen by a co-worker when they took her home. That, was, that happened around 6 p.m. on February 7th of 1968. Um, her husband came home at around 8 p.m. and was confused by what he saw when he walked into the door. He immediately noticed that the kitchen looked as though she was about to cook, but nothing was actually made or started. So, from what I read, she had like, pots and pans yeah, and... Things were ready. Prepped. Probably had but, a, a knife out to cut some yeah, things. But no, but no actual food. So, so a real <laughs> kick and while he's down situation. He didn't even have dinner. <laughs> dinner wasn't even made. And now, here's so, a wife. So he went that's to their terrible. room. It is terrible. But that's our humor. I mean, us being in investigative fields, that's kind of what you yeah, fall to. somehow. He went to their room and found that she had been stabbed 14 times, which is excessive. Mm-hmm. St- I think one is a bit much, well, personally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 14 is 14 really- is a lot. Out of pocket. The stab wounds were in the areas of her neck and her throat, and they were so deep they were almost to her bones, and they were made most likely with a serrated knife, which I thought it was interesting that even then they were kind of doing 
you know, tool and weapon comparison. Well, I saw that she, uh, well, the, yeah, the cuts, like you said, were to the bone as in like all the way to the spine. So she, she was, was almost decapitated. Near decapitated yes. and uh, had defensive wounds on her hands where yes. she was trying to block the stabs. Right. Uh, and yeah. that led them to think, well, those are mm-hmm. slashes from a most likely serrated knife. Right. No weapon appeared to be left at the scene, and she was wearing a red woolen dress at the time. She had been stuffed also underneath their bed. So, which is interesting, too. Yeah, kind of a feeble attempt to hide the body. Yeah, stabbed 14 times. Like, she's not going to be found at home. Right, like there's not, you know, likely lots of blood everywhere. Yeah. And no one's going to look around. Yeah. They're going to think she left. So when the police arrived, they figured out there was no sign of forced entry. And at the time she was attacked, Claire was most likely working on their next meal in the kitchen, as we Mm. said. So it would appear that she probably knew her murderer. Right, let them in. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, what are you doing here? Right. And another indication of that was that there was half of a cup of coffee on the table as well. Because there were no signs of forced entry and because of the coffee, because I think there were a few cups there, Mm -hmm. they deduced that she had let someone in the house, they had had a cup of coffee, and then... Things took a turn. Yes. So, um, we'll jump into some suspects. Mm -hmm. Uh, The suspect, main suspect, was Roger Payne. 22 years old and a new acquaintance of the couple. He had a history of trouble and attacks concerning women. And he even stated that scratches on his hands were from his own wife because they fought often. Ah. So. So that was his excuse that. Yeah. I looked like I was in a knife fight. Because. Because me and my yeah. wife, we have a, and, a bloody row. As they, right. say. <laughs> they had a bloody row. But in, but they really did. I mean, they did look into him and he, they did have. A domestic violence history. Yeah. So for him, that's the perfect excuse. Right. You know, but that's it's common. They drew a pretty quick line to him. When, well, who do you know that might have done this? Right. Well, we just met this guy. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we looked into yeah. him, and turns out he has a lot of trouble, a lot of issues with with women. Yeah. So a bit of background on Payne. He was born in the Surrey area in 1941. His dad was an accountant and report reportedly bullied him often. Weirdly. So, I know. His father was very odd, and he was controlling, and had very controlling, concentrated rules in the house, including asking his dad for permission to enter any room, including the bathroom. Mm -hmm. So his dad, to me, take a step back, Mm -hmm. but, you know, obviously if he was bullied by his own father. Now, it's interesting that he has issues with women, though. Yes. That's strange to me. I wonder if he was angry, like towards a mother figure, right? That she never that she never in stepped or in, stop to it, or got him out of that environment. And then wild the f- speculation, of course. Right? Well, yeah, just speculative, but just thinking aloud. Mm-hmm. And then his father, being that controlling, you know, he obviously had major insecurities, <clears throat> even right. if he the dad's got issues. Yes. And probably highly insecure. So who knows what he did to the wife? True. You know, the uh, Payne's mom. Right, what Roger witnessed yeah. and thought was a normal way to treat and a woman. That could be exactly it. But he needed permission to do anything, including okay. he got to get in line and ask for permission mm-hmm. to go to the restroom. 
His parents separated, no surprise, when Payne was 12. Don't most parents want their child to use the restroom yeah. appropriately? <laughs> potty training Don't is, hold it. Is, Don't go on the floor. No. Don't. Potty training is a big mess. It's a, it's a great victory. When, uh, <laughs> when the kid does it right. Yeah. So to put another barrier in front yeah. of being able to use the restroom, and yeah. if he's intimidated by his dad, yeah, <laughs> he's going to end up he's going with bladder infections. peeing in the yard or something. <laughs> So, his parents separated when he was 12, and he was sent to a boarding school after that. It was a prominent school, and he was allowed in for free, because apparently he was very, he was extremely intelligent. Right, he managed to get a free ride to an exclusive school. Right. So, I wonder, though, if also, again, just thinking aloud, if the environment being in a boarding Mm -hmm. school, it's also a very controlled environment. Mm Mm-hmm. If that's also what kind of contributed to later on just being mm. a little bit more on the wild side. And likely <clears throat> male figures in charge Well, and <clears throat> boarding, boarding school. Boarding schools back then were also, they were all female or they were all male. So he was all with only men. Right. So he's in a <clears throat> position where his, for his entire life... A man is in charge and very yes. strictly in charge. Which would make sense for him being controlling and having issues with women. Right. So when you know, he can, when he can. When he's finally around right. women, if he feels for a second he's not in control, he might. And then he wigs out. Yeah. So he then married and lived in Bromley. And this is where he met the Josephs. As he and his wife, which they were off, which, as I mentioned, often fought and had trouble. Lived next door to them. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to hear from our friends at, from the National Investigative Academy, Training Academy, um, and then we'll go into more of the crime scene mm-hmm. and what they found. Yeah, a little more about pain and how signs started pointing to him. Mm-hmm. If you are looking for a career change or to expand your knowledge in an already established one, look no further than the National Investigative Training Academy. The National Investigative Training Academy, or NIDA, N-I-T-A, has well over 100 courses with 70 professional development ones alone. NIDA is constantly adding to their course catalog, and courses are focused on private investigation and security fields. Whether you would like to become a private investigator or you need continuing education for your investigative or security career, the National Investigative Training Academy is for you. All courses offered are 100% online and do at your own pace. Once completed, you will receive a certificate in that course. Sign up today at investigativeacademy.com. Make sure when you sign up for your courses, you mention we sent you there. We encourage you to get the best investigative and security training possible today. When you sign up, mention our brand ambassador code BA2367. That's BA2367. And you can find those courses at investigativeacademy.com. Look for links in our show notes as well. So, now we'll get into the evidence of the case. Our favorite. Yes, of course. And a little bit into how the evidence and some analysis tied, really tied pain. They already had, you know, an inclination that it was him, based on his reputation with women. and he's he's, come into their lives just recently. Yes, and then and tragedy strikes. Right, that's not. A, I'm not a. I'm not a huge believer in coincidence. I think everything happens 
you know, there's a reason behind mm-hmm. it or something. So that would make that, you know, it's... That would raise your suspicions. Yes. So Payne had been wearing a suit and a scarf. And when police, police asked him to see what he was wearing, I you know, at the time, around that time, that day that Claire was murdered, he stated the outfit was at the cleaners. Son of a gun. Which... Red flag number one. <laughs> Who takes clothes to the cleaners? Well, yeah. I guess some people, but. <laughs> but so soon after, and it was that suit, you know, they found, they had found at the scene 61 fibers, or not at the scene, on his suit. They had found found 61 fibers. Mm-hmm. Um, they were not from his suit. They were from somewhere else. So this is why they were asking so, and that was one area I wasn't clear that I couldn't find if they had noticed. I mean, they counted. Mm-hmm. So, when did they see the suit? Or even after the cleaners, I'm deducing that those were still on there. Well, we know his uh, <clears throat> his house was searched. True. So, I'm guessing the suit wasn't actually at the cleaners. Yeah. It was probably a big fat because, liar. Yeah, and that's kind of what I deduced, but I could never find in my research, like, Mm-hmm. That's exactly how they found it, but they had to have had to have seen it mm-hmm. because they counted sixty-one foreign fibers. Ah, see, I just saw in my notes he did wash the clothes, but the okay. fibers were still present well, yes. when they later got their hands on them. So, well, yeah, because they were kind of ingrained at that point. I right. think. Yeah, they were in the seams and hems. So they found mm-hmm. twenty fibers made from rayon, which is what his scarf was made out of, mm-hmm. on one of Claire's coats. And she had fibers from Payne's clothing under her fingernails, which is the biggest indicator. Yeah, she was scratching at him. Mm-hmm. The police were able to search Payne's car, and there they found blood stains. Which, I'm like, didn't he live next door? I guess he went off somewhere after, yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I was like, why yeah, he had to did he go home. in the car? But good that, you know, he was yeah. an idiot and... They found blood stains. Mm-hmm. The blood was matched to Claire's. And she happened to have a rare type of blood. Mm-hmm. And though I couldn't find where they found it in the car. Did you? Did you no, find anything? I'm, I'm guessing if it was on his clothes, it mm-hmm. ended up on the driver's seat. Or if he took his coat off and threw it in the Threw it in the seat. car. That's kind of what I thought, too. Um, um, but, yeah, this is kind of before DNA testing. Yes. The prevalence of it. But yeah. they were still able to tell... This is her very rare blood. Yes. And I think the fact that she had rare blood kind of stood out even more. It was probably easier to determine. Yes. And police did find the serrated knife that was used to kill her in the car. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where in the car, but it sounds like it was... Probably the same place they found the blood Well, yeah. (laughs) They had enough for trial, and he was convicted one week later, which is wild. I mean... Yeah. Which, that would be great if most investigations went that way. I know. And he was found guilty. Now it takes more than that to just to get the jury indictment. Well, it takes a week. I've worked cases where it takes a week just to get all of your... I mean, we spend a week on additional search warrants before Mm -hmm. we even get to the arrest warrant kind of thing. Um, So to me, that's... They must have... The judge either thought that they had a solid case or they did have enough, especially Mm -hmm. for back then. Right. You know... Or uh, things weren't as highly litigated. Or that. Then. 
as they are now. Now you have to go through hoops to, to prove. Right, just present evidence to a jury. Yeah. Meanwhile, today, if you're going to try to prosecute a DWI, there's a million little things that will mm-hmm. get it thrown out before it even starts. Right. So Payne would not confess to the murder and was apparently denied parole several times. And after trying eight times in 1991, he fled prison while being transported to a different one. And this begs the question, <laughs> yeah. why was he a murderer unescorted in the transfer? Right. Yeah, he was... I don't... I, I have no idea. I but don't... Yeah. Unescorted is the key word. Um, it One thing I saw said that he was on... Like a transfer, yeah, going from one to the other, which would mean they let him loose and said, "You better show up at that other prison which is tonight wild. by eight o'clock, or else we're gonna have to look for you." <laughs> <laughs> or uh, one other thing I saw said he was on an unescorted leave, which like which, sometimes you can get a furlough. Yeah, from but a for a murder, like, uh, you know what I mean. Well, we, again, <laughs> things might not have been so litigated back then. True. But, like if there's a death in the family, yes. they might give you like a 24-hour And you have to release. report back. Yeah, and you right. have to report back and you may be escorted. Yeah. But for some reason with this dude, they're they like, yeah, go ahead. Him. I guess his behavior had been good enough. This, you know, whether it was leave or you're supposed to <clears throat> be housed at the other right. jail now, at the other prison, he was loose and on his own. Yeah. On purpose. And boy, did that come back to bite him. Yeah. Because it was during this time he hung around Bristol and then decided to stay in Gloucestershire. He changed his appearance by changing his hair color and wardrobe, and he decided to suddenly be fancy. Now, (laughs) (laughs) that was was one of the fun parts. I know. From now on, I'm a fancy boy. I'm a fancy boy. I thought the same thing because I don't, I never found a clothing description of him before except for that suit. Which, you know, right, that's... the coat not, and the scarf. Yeah, we don't know if they were shabby or... Apparently they weren't fancy. <laughs> because now he's a fancy man. Mm-hmm. And he also drove a fancy car, which I often wonder, did he steal it? Probably. And went by Thomas Fairfax. And it just so happens that this is the same name as a commander from the English English Civil War. Mm-hmm. So he just went into a history book and went, ah, that's Fairfax. A, that sounds like a... Hoity-toity, much-respected name. So he went by that. Under this new persona, he began to take on friends who were highly elite. Mm -hmm. In 1994, he started dating a married woman named Ruth Ellis. Now we're going to interject a tidbit here. Yes. Because Ruth Ellis shares a name with the last woman to be hung in the UK for a murder. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is not that Ellis. No, different Ruth Ellis, and uh, I'll give you a little tease. We'll learn more about that Ruth Ellis next episode. Right. But this is a different one. She yes. just dated a murderer. She didn't commit yeah, she, one. She's not <clears throat> that bad. Due to the affair, well, I'd say she had an affair, but due to the affair, her husband committed suicide. Yeah, so that's a little rough. Right. So this lady decided this Thomas Fairfax is so charming, she was going to go behind her husband's back, and that took a toll on that poor guy. Yeah. On Mr. Ellis. Right. So soon after that, police discovered that Payne and Fairfax were actually the same person. And for some reason, even after all of that, he was still eligible for parole. 
Even after he was caught, imprisoned again. Yeah, and brought back. Um, but even though he never really confessed to the murder, mm-hmm. um, in 2020, he was going to possibly be released, and he didn't want to. And he referred to prison as a holiday camp, mm-hmm. and he claimed he would be lonely if he left prison. So that says something about mm-hmm. our prisons, too. That, well, you know, the UK's prison. UK. Ours are probably a little less pleasant. Right. But check this out. Here's what I found <clears throat> about the uh, the prison okay. and what he said about it. Okay. So after all his attempts at parole, <clears throat> and they speculate that he was denied parole because he refused to confess. Well, that yeah. if he just came clean and said, I did yes, it. I did it and I'm remorseful, he would have had a shot. Well, but I'm... his sentence was 15 to life. Well, he also so he escaped. Well, yeah, but he had <laughs> he had served his well even before that he was denied. Oh, I know. Um, but he had already served his fifteen years, right? And then started getting denied parole, escaped, got back in, and then when he was eligible for parole again, he finally, like year after year, he would sign a waiver saying, "And no thanks." And by twenty twenty, he's just flat out saying that he wants to be forgotten. Mm-hmm. The prison is like a holiday camp. <clears throat> he would be lonely outside of prison, mm-hmm. and in there he has access to Scrabble, ah. an Xbox, a <laughs> PlayStation, and the complete works of Beethoven across 85 CDs. So that's So his... why, why would you ever want to leave? <laughs> he decided for Sounds like he's still living in 1968. There's nothing for me <laughs> on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> he's from the past. <laughs> there's nothing left for him on the outside. Just leave him in there. He still maintains that he never did anything wrong and insisted that the evidence was planted. Okay. And this was the first conviction in English history right. where it was on forensic evidence. Yeah, alone. fiber analysis. Yeah, no witnesses, no confession, just yeah. the forensic evidence at the scene. Well, it was under her nails. Her well, fingernails yeah. is the biggest thing for me. Yeah, but you his, his insistence is that, well, they planted that because they just wanted to solve a case. Right. I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. And, I mean, fine. Leave him in prison because he's not a good person. Yeah, if he wants to stay but there. I'm know. also like, don't they have rules of like, well, the taxpayers pay for this, so get out. <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually did see something about a uh, solicitor or an attorney's right. them, wrote a pretty scathing letter Saying this, if you release this guy, he can support himself. If yeah. If you keep him in there because he's having so much fun and it's That's like a holiday I'm camp, then the people have to pay for it. I mean, at the very so least, it doesn't matter if he doesn't want to be paroled. Well, and I'm, I'm and thinking, I'm thinking too. Like, I don't know in the UK, but if they have halfway houses, mm-hmm. that would be a solution. It, he would still have to be supervised, but he would have to have a job. They make them, you know, have jobs and report and be responsible and accountable mm-hmm. seems like that would be a little bit better yeah because it wouldn't be a free ride but he's still being monitored mm-hmm. i don't know but i don't know how it is in the uk and i also wonder if it's a little bit of reverse psychology <laughs> if he's been denied so many times because yeah. he won't confess so now he's saying well i just love it in here so forget it, leave me. Yeah. And now people are getting upset. Mad. No, get him out. He's having yeah. a great time. It's no longer reformative. Yeah. He's listening to Beethoven over and over. <laughs> On CDs. Yeah. He's got 85 CDs. <laughs> How did he get those? 
Oh, and apparently uh, Ruth Ellis, his Ruth Ellis, not the killer Ruth Ellis, mm-hmm. she stayed by his side really till I the very end, that. but eventually she developed dementia, or ah. uh, Alzheimer's rather. So uh, I believe she has since passed, but hmm. for as long as she was coherent, she agreed that he was innocent and hmm. wrongfully convicted. But the fibers don't lie. No. And neither does the rare blood. No. To me, the rare blood and the fibers in particular. It is a pretty heinous attack, though. Nearly decapitated with a serrated knife. Yeah, but if he had... But that also makes me wonder. How did he... Was this his only killing? And that was the only one that was found out? Right. Because that doesn't... I mean... That's a pretty extreme first It is extreme. And, you know, from everything that we have learned in our jobs and trainings that seems like an extreme kill for your first one you know and usually usually it develops slowly there's an escalation Mm -hmm. with this it goes from domestic violence to almost decapitation right and it's not like it was his wife that he almost decapitated you know a personal vendetta over argument so i think that part is interesting, but it makes me wonder, did he kill more people and they just yeah, never knew? Are there any other unsolved things that he was... Could be traced back to him. He was careful enough. Yeah. Or, you know, he didn't leave any fibers behind. Right. Just like we I said, know. this was kind of pre-DNA analysis. Yeah, DNA was became more prevalent in the 80s. Yeah. This was, this was 68. 60s, yeah. So and we hadn't even been to the moon. No. One year later. So that's all that we've got for the case of Roger Payne slash Thomas Fairfax. Yes. And the murder of Claire Josephs. Yes. And you know, I couldn't find much on her husband. Like, poor guy. He found her and then like, that was it. I couldn't yeah, find and anything then, about and then this, he followed the trial or this yeah. and that. I mean, it Did just... Did he move on? I know. Did he ever find happiness again? I know. I thought that was a little bit sad, but yeah. interesting nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. Please sign the crime scene log on your way out. Stay safe. And enjoy a word from our friend at the True Consequences podcast before you leave us. So Are you tired of speculative, sensational, poorly researched, and disrespectful true crime podcasts? Me too. Hi, I'm Eric Carter-Londine, and I'm here to introduce you to True Consequences podcast, an advocacy-focused show that sets itself apart from the rest. You see, True Consequences is a love letter from my baby brother, Jacob Londine, who was murdered nearly four decades ago, and he still needs justice. What sets my show apart is the deep dive research I do, the first person accounts I bring to light, and the empathetic lens through which I approach each case. I know what it's like to fight for justice for a loved one, and I'm committed to helping other families seeking justice. You can listen to True Consequences wherever you get your favorite podcast. Join me, Eric Carter Londine, on this journey to uncover the truth and advocate for justice. Together, we can make a difference. Don't settle for sensationalism. Choose True Consequences podcast for advocacy-focused true crime. Subscribe now and be part of the movement for justice.